Hello and a very warm welcome to a new episode of Women Build, brought to you by World Architecture News from Alison and Nav. In today's episode, we speak to Alexandra Cuba, head of the hospitality department at Fogarty Finger, about post-pandemic hospitality interiors, flexibility and being a New Yorker. Alexandra holds a diploma in architecture from the University of Applied Science of Cologne, Germany, earned her master's in Spain and is a lead accredited professional. She joined Fogarty Finger in 2011 and has been involved in many projects, including Brooklyn Navy Yard's public and amenity spaces, Nike and Uber workplaces and a boutique hotel in downtown Manhattan. So welcome. Thank you for joining us today, Alexandra. Really pleased to have you on the podcast with us. I'd like to go right back to the beginning for the first question. You were born in Poland, have lived in Germany and Spain and now live in the US. How do you think your experience of living in these different countries has informed your approach to design? Thank you for having me. Yeah, just to answer your question right away, I think it was one of the biggest influence in my career, having lived in different countries with you know different climates, uh, different resources, and even different habits, because all of them kind of inform architecture or our way of living. So I would say it really kept me flexible, open, and mostly curious for new things. Uh, For another example, I've lived uh, longer periods in uh, Costa Rica recently, so I'm studying a bit more tropical architecture because it's so different from our Nordic approaches. So I would say it has kept me very open to new solutions and very inspired because there's no not one answer or one solution for any kind of condition. And my next question is, why did you choose New York to start your career? That's a long way from where you grew up and studied. And also to go back to your first answer, you mentioned about taking the Nordic influences to the US. I'm I'm intrigued to know what you think of as a Nordic influence. I was always attracted by New York. I came to visit here before I moved to New York and mostly by the energy, the scale and the pace and probably it being the melting pot with so many different cultures living together. I had always the idea of staying in New York for a little bit, then going to Hong Kong and then to Tokyo, another big city, or maybe even somewhere in Australia, and then maybe travel the world and then go back to a big city in Europe. But, you know, somehow I'm still here. I haven't even gone to Tokyo, Hong Kong yet. So it's very interesting for me, the city, because it it definitely answers to my needs and gave me a lot of opportunities. And right now it's also my home and has a have a big community here. And answering your second question about the Nordic influence is, you know, New York has a very extreme climate. It's very, very hot in the summer and very, very cold in the winter. So the Nordic influence is we, uh, you know, insulation and letting the lights in in the winter, right? And then in the summer we have to balance it out with AC. And I think it it felt very close to my home in Germany. I think there are many, many things I enjoyed in New York, but when it comes to Nordic elements, it's probably that I'm designing for a climate zone uh, similar to where I learned architecture. And while you've been working in New York, you've also been involved in the regeneration of the One World Trade Center. Why did you want to work on that? What, What attracted you to that role? Uh, I feel very proud of this involvement and I think it was also a 
big healing process for me because I, uh, just to give you some perspective, I I witnessed uh, September 11th. I, I arrived in New York June 2001 and three months later, I uh, saw actually the attack. Uh, I was working at SOM back then and SOM uh, was located just around the corner of the World Trade Center. So I saw the attack, I, I ran for my life, and I also saw the towers coming down. So it affected me on a very deep level. And as scary as this experience was, it also made me want to actually help and rebuild the city. I just came there, but I felt like I was a New Yorker already after three months. And this solidarity and this how people come together to support each other and help each other and to rebuild the city was really, really inspiring for me. And what was the brief for the One World Trade Centre rebuild? What were people looking for in that project? I think they wanted to, again, create this space, like a symbolic space for New York City in a safer way. Also, again, we regain the, the sense of safety, community and comfort. I think there was also the need for honoring what happened, honoring those old towers and then recreating a new space around it to create kind of a, a spot where people could come to uh, gather, um, you know, work, creating a new hub for New York and also a memorial. I think it was very important to rebuild that area in, uh, in a very similar and better way than before. And, and moving on to your current role, you now lead the hospitality interior studio at Fogarty Finger. So what are the important elements of hospitality design for you? Uh, for me, hospitality is the answer of social aspects uh, of our lives, right? So I, I'm trying to create an environment which is which which speaks to that, answers those need, and, and create an environment where people can come together, gather, and uh, nurture their relationships, be it in a leisure or business environment. So for me, hospitality is kind of the balance to a professional environment. How has the reaction to the pandemic changed hospitality? What trends are you seeing now as we deal with the aftermath of the pandemic? Um, the need for hospitality spaces was already there pre-pandemic. And I think it probably through the pandemic, it's a bit more enhanced when we come on the other, uh, out on the other side. It's the, the need for these, these moments which give us a little bit, de-stress us a little bit and create a better and healthy environment for us. You can see it in retail, multi-residential buildings, and now also in offices where we are asking for spaces to provide these kind of more quiet or loungy spaces. In a, in a retail, you have a barista all of a sudden in a showroom, right? In, in residential, multi-residential buildings, you have co-working spaces, you have fitness spaces, even a, a, a little gaming room. And also in office spaces or in office buildings, you see more and more the demand for these clubs popping up here and there. Or landlords want to give people back the spaces where they can kind of get out of the work environment or balance out their work environment. And, and give the moments maybe to uh, rest a little bit or um, collaborate in a different in, in a different space in different surroundings or quieter or even more vibrant. So I think we have seen this before, but I'm seeing it coming back more and more. Probably also because we have gone through this very dark time. You know, I'm foreseeing a kind of roaring twenties moment for the hospitality once we are safe and comfortable again. So I'm, I'm hearing from what you've said that comfort is, is critical here. I guess people didn't go out for so long. They now make a real effort to go out and realise how much they value the social element that's in hospitality. 
what, what do you think has changed? Well, we are trying to answer the need for flexibility in lounge spaces where you can uh, sit and relax and also sit and work on your laptop or have a phone call. It could be in a in a corner of a lounge or it could be in a phone room. I think we will see more and more hospitality creep in all industries, right? You have co-working spaces in hotel spaces or in, in multi-residential. And also now uh, in offices, you have separate co-working spaces where people can come together. And then also uh, in furniture, you want to uh, give people the option to collaborate on lower tables, higher tables. So I think in in general, flexibility is very important to support the comfort. You still want to, you don't want to be slouching on the couch and have a meeting, right? So we've touched on the flexibility around co-working spaces in hotels and multi-residential buildings, but how have designers had to adapt to social distancing within the hospitality industry? And what are the cost implications of this? Yeah, I think the first reaction was to create more spaces between seating area, which results in blocking out seating. Right now, I think it it will go to actually offering more spaces or offering more space between the seating environments, which of course is costly, right? You know, before you made it maybe needed thousand square foot, and now you need it need maybe two thousand square foot. So that in in its in itself is is costly. But I think what is most interesting for me is the need for the visual cleanliness and visually kind of thoughtfulness in in things. For example, touchless features very important. You know you. You don't want to constantly have to touch your door and or touch your, your faucet. So a lot of these things I don't think are really reversible. Reversible are things where you um, took out furniture and you can put them back in. So we have done that in, in several uh, projects where in the beginning of the pandemic, we just took out all of the furniture so nobody could sit. And then slowly but surely they were uh, put back. Dock 72, for example, it's a amenity space in, in Brooklyn. We removed a lot of furniture first and now slowly but surely we added them back and created environments where, you know, again, where people can sit and, and feel comfortable sitting there. We also added, you know, uh, turnstiles, which are only open with the card access. Same with the elevator. One more example would be the need for a bit more uh, conscious finish selections, which also I have a very good example uh, in a amenity space in downtown Brooklyn. A client came back to us in the middle of the pandemic where we created this beautiful design for a lounge and said, what can we change? And we use it as an opportunity and change the bar to copper. So now instead of it being kind of a marble top, it's a bar entirely out of copper. Not the cheapest thing for the client, but the client wanted to create something which is answering the new requirements or like an antibacterial element. This bar in itself became this feature of the whole space and is very well received by the client. You mentioned at the start that hospitality is anywhere where you can be sociable, including workplaces. Do you think that workplaces have evolved to become more hospitable meeting places rather than, say, for example, being in a cubicle just completely on your own? Um, yes, a very good point. I definitely believe so. I think when we rolled out, we had to make our homes an office. And I think we have spent a year at home and I think we learned certain things. And those things are probably now going to inspire us when we roll back into the office. So more or less bringing home back to the office. And that includes a lot of hospitality aspects. These definitely going to inform and influence our design 
when we're coming back to the office. And I think what is also changing more and more is the need for collaboration and for mentoring. When it comes to collaboration and mentoring, I think our office spaces will actually uh, be most useful. And for that, we need to adjust our our environment in the office. Um, I don't think collaboration mentoring only happens at the desk. It's a different uh, different requirements. I think overall. Everything we we have experienced at home, we have to bring to the office and create an environment where we can actually work better and healthier and in an environment which which supports all that what we what we need. Thank you very much. Um, moving on to the next question, what advice would you give to a young woman wanting to start a career in architecture and design? Yeah, I get this question a lot. And I have to say the tides have shifted in our industry. So it's not a man domain anymore. In uh, At our office at Fogarty Finger, we are 110 employees and 54% of our office are women. I'm very proud of that. And across the board, I can see that this is happening. Where we have to do some more work is the leadership position. I think we are still very man dominated there. I do know, though, a lot of strong and wonderful women who are already changing this. I'm a strong believer that we will get there. In general, I think our industry is changing. And as long as you love your job, I love being an architect or designer, and you are willing to work hard and improve your skill sets constantly, you will succeed. You know, knowledge inspires confidence. And again, as we mentioned at the start, you've obviously lived in lots of different countries and worked for lots of different firms and practices. How important do you think that is for career progression? I don't think there is a general answer for that. I think it's a very personal journey. Everybody is different and it's all about your own experience and what you want. So by moving around, you probably will find out what works for you and what doesn't. And uh, also what you like of an office, a big office or a small office, or uh, is it more corporate or studio-based or even a startup? And then also what kind of uh, design do you uh, is speaking to you? Is it the modern or is it a traditional? And I think when we're coming out of school, we don't know what is really talking to us. So having that experience is helpful. But having said that, I have also met people who have gone to one office and are still working there 20 years later. So somehow they got everything they wanted within the office. So you gave some great examples there of what people look for in an employer, but what do you look for when you're recruiting? First of all, I think I'm trying to see if the person we, I'm looking at the portfolio first and I'm I'm trying to see if they kind of do the type of architecture we do. And I would probably not hire somebody who has only done uh, done traditional uh, architecture because we have pretty modern language. I also look at the experiences where they went to school, although although that's pretty minor for me personally, but I, I'm trying to see where the background is. And most important for me actually is once you invite them to interviews, if they fit into our culture, because our goal is to hire people who want to stay and not just have an experience. So the long-term aspect for us is important. So if we, we sense, of course, you don't, you can never tell if you uh, uh, based on an interview, but if you sense that this person kind of 
fits into our culture, has a similar energy, there is a bigger chance to actually succeed and they stay longer. We also like um, people who are go-getters. Uh, at Fogarty Fing, we don't really have a glass ceiling. We really give you the platform. If you want to do something, we support it. Um, but you need to <laughs> you go get it. You know, It's not that we're going to provide that to you. So if you have a new idea, for example, I always wanted to do hospitality. Uh, at one point, I went to our leaders in, in the office and asked uh, that I... Um, would like to do hospitality if there's any interest. And they said, yes, they supported me. They gave me the platform. And I think that's an example which is it's very telling because it's important that, that you find something where, where you have the option to grow. And if I uh, talk to somebody in interview and I feel that they're really interested in growing and, and, and they align with our design, I think you, um, you're halfway there. Thank you very much. And last of all from me, what is the project that you have worked on that you have been most proud of? So before Fogarty Finger, I can say that um, I'm most proud of is being involved in the World Trade Center Tower One and also the Paris Art Museum in Miami, uh, mostly because that really honed my design uh, approach and uh, expectations. Another example is 1700 Broadway. It's an um, uh, amenity club in uh, in an office building that also was interesting because we also answered to create a balance to uh, from your working from your office space to a, a space where you can actually create a little bit of a balance one aspect which i really liked of this both project was the focus we had on local manufacturers and artists we really wanted to bring a local touch to all of these projects and work very closely with with those artists and created a very unique project as we added those little kind of accessories and arts and stuff which are very, very curated to their locations and to their to the concepts. Thank you for spending your time with Nav and I today. Really appreciate it. We welcome your feedback on the podcast. So please aim all your comments to waneditorial at haymarket.com. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So follow download and join us as we look into the world of architecture from a female perspective, wherever you are.